continuation of introducing our guest speaker for today. I met him, Pastor Finney, uh, six years ago because one of my best friends introduced me to Finney. I, gotta, I want you to meet this guy who is actually a um, uh, executive director of CAP uh, for Silicon Valley. And what CAP stands for is Coalition Alleviating Poverty. Um, and what he does is that he actually equips churches to adopt poverty uh, pockets in Silicon Valley to do place uh, replacements and assets based upon ministries. And um, he actually is the outreach compassion minister at Westgate uh, Church uh, down south. And um, he graduated from um, Fuller uh, with a demon, and he actually got his THM at Boston University. And um, the, their family is up there, his wife Susan, and also their three children, Johan, uh, Wesley, and Lisa. And uh, for the past six years, um, whenever I needed um, guidance, uh, talk in terms of missions, I would always go to him first, and he's actually actually came to our church on Tuesday night to introduce some of the things, ideas, and so um, I'm really, really grateful, not only for his presence today, but also his friendship and fellowship that we've, we've been having for the past six years. So enough said, um, Pastor Finney Abraham from Westgate Church. Thank you. Wow. Um, Thank you uh, for the kind words, and thank you for having me. Um, Eric, you, you really, uh, thank you for sharing that story. Very, very powerful. I think so. I forgot everything I had to preach today. I'll, I'll tell you why. <clears throat> may, may I just start from there? Uh, I don't think so. In, in churches, many folks understand uh, ministries that is done consistently and faithfully for a long time. And uh, just hearing your story sitting there, um, it's an inspiration. Um, as a pastor, the thing that I long to see the most is people's life being transformed and them knowing Jesus and, and they being uh, following Jesus. And I never realized how powerful a picture could be um, when I saw that. And for consistently doing that in a church, um, it is amazing. Thank you for the work that you do. And it is an honor and a privilege for me to stand at a church that has a history of over 100 years and as you um, celebrate this, this 100th year. So thank you uh, for uh, having me. Uh, Pastor Ben has, has, has been very kind and said a few kind things. And, um, you know, uh, everyone, I think, in their life should have someone like Pastor Ben. I, he is uh, an elder brother to me. There are a few folks in my life that I have that are genuinely happy about everything I do and everywhere I get. And I can see that in our interactions. Um, and his humility to ask me about things where I get to share about some of the things that I get to do. And um, it has been a privilege uh, for me and my family to get to know him. And and also this is even more interesting because this is the first time I've been preaching where I can actually see them, which is which is great. And I like this distance too, so I don't have to hear so much of the voice. Um, I have three kids under three. Um, I have twins who are just one year old, and uh, my oldest is two and a half. And uh, we are grateful uh, for for them and my wife Susan who's there, and uh, her support as well. 
Um, very grateful to hear about the missions uh, weeks that you uh, all have been having here. It is fundamental to um, uh, the Christian faith and understanding the Great Commission um, that everything that we do is to disciple folks. And, and Jesus in the Great Commission said, for all nations, locally, globally, and around the world. So um, I'm grateful that I get to uh, speak on this passage that I have been uh, uh, learning and, and, and preparing uh, for here, but it has immensely blessed me, and I hope that it will be a blessing for you as well uh, today as we look into Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It's a, it's a big passage, um, but uh, I believe that this, this, this passage um, will equip us to look into the places in our community in a way uh, that will uh, bring glory to um, God's name. So let me uh, read this passage for you as we uh, begin our service. That is um, Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. Pretty well-known uh, uh, passage. It is about the Ethiopian eunuch, and, uh, and I'll pray, and then we'll go from there. Acts chapter 8, verses 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning, seated in the chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer it is silent. So he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and uh, beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they went going along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch. And he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuchs saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and he uh, passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Heavenly Father, God, we pray that you would speak to us through these words. These are your words. 
These are eternal words, and God help us to understand this so that we move away from eternal damnation to eternal life. And God, I pray that, uh, that you would convict our hearts today with these words. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Born in 1761 in a small village in North Hampshire in England, William Carey was a cobbler by profession, but God called him to be uh, the father of modern missions. He was a linguist, and uh, he was a theologian, and he was a missionary. His interest uh, for language picked up in a very young age, and he self-taught New Testament Greek and Hebrew and other language. The burden of a place to transform it and to see it changed led William Carey to have a heart for India, where I am from, in 1780s. And by 1793, he went to a state in India called Calcutta. There were years of discouragement. He did not see even a single person coming to Jesus for the first seven years of his time there. He had his uh, wife that he went with who died in Calcutta. He had one of his child die there. In the midst of all of this, after 41 years of being in that country, he translated the Bible into 41 Indian languages. These were languages that did not even have a script that a man was able to create that. And in 2022, I stand before you because of the amazing work that God has put in his life to change the lives of my family to know Jesus and to read the Bible in our own language. He changed a place, and through it, he changed people. God calls us not to just transform people, but he calls us to transform places. Today, as we started our service here today, uh, a worship leader was mentioning to think about a place. Now, I don't know if he saw my sermon or understood what I was preaching or knew anything like that, but I thought that was interesting. That is what we, I'll be preaching today. What does it look like to love a place and love people the way God loves? Acts 8 is a unique chapter in the book of Acts because still chapter 8, we see in the way in which God leads uh, God's people to uh, spread the gospel in Jerusalem the epicenter of everything that happened to Jesus and his ministry started. But right in chapter 1, verse 8, is this very well-known passage, which I'm sure that all of you have heard during these weeks. It says, but when you receive the power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea, in Samaria, and end of the world, and end of the earth. And, the, and, and these places are important. Note this. He never said any cause. The writer of, the, of Acts mentions places. Not mention homelessness, fostering, all other kind of stuff that we do. Nothing wrong in doing that. The scripture just mentions places. 
Jerusalem, all of Judea, Samaria, and end of the earth. And when you go to those places, you will identify causes and things that you would do that would impact people. So in eight, chapter 8, verses uh, 1, uh, you see right in the beginning of it, um, you know, what happens and how God leads people out of Jerusalem. 8, chapter 1 and 2, it says, On that day a great persecution broke. This is when uh, the story of Stephen uh, broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered through Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going to house and house and dragged both men and women and put them in prison. From there, God called a man called Philip, who would go to a place called Samaria to spread the gospel. Note this. God moves people, and God moves um, people to move into certain places to do some work that only he can do. The church, in fact, as it started, was very comfortable with Jerusalem. It's the right place. It is where everything happens. It was where Jesus was. And they got comfortable. History teaches us that persecution forced these folks to move to Judea and to Samaria. Now that is very important and interesting for me. Because even these are folks who knew Jesus, who saw Jesus who are at the beginning of the church, you know, are the, are, the, are the church fathers, in other words. Even they were comfortable with their safe places, like Jerusalem. Here's the question. What is our Judea and our Samaria? It is not our actual place we meet. It is those places that are not too comfortable for us to go. Samaria was one place that most Jewish people would not want to go. Or want to encounter. And God leads these folks to Judea and Samaria. It is important to understand as, as we read this, um, it, you know, the Holy Spirit tells Philip to go to a place. This is between this Gaza. And when you look in the scripture right from the beginning of the Bible till the end, we see God calling people to places. The Bible starts with a place called Eden. God calls Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 verses 1. The Lord has said to Abraham, Go from your country to your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. God calls, calls Moses to lead his people from Egypt to the promised land. God calls prophets to go to places. He calls Jonah to go to Nineveh where he does not want to go. But God says, I love that place, and I love the people. In the New Testament, Jesus talks about places. The Great Commission is about places. Paul writes 90% of his letters to different cities. Corinth, Ephesus, Thessalonica, and so on. And the end of the Bible in Revelation you see in all of this is going to culminate in a new city where the curse is taken off that happened in Genesis chapter 3. So places are critical, have critical importance in the, in the sight of God. 
The place that the writer of Acts is mentioning, Samaria and Judea, if you understand really, is the place that none of these folks want to go. And my thought here is, what can we understand from this passage in knowing our Samaria and our Judea? These are places that you may drive through and just don't want to look through over and see what is going on. These may be places that you want to just ignore because you see too much brokenness. These are places that as a church you would not want to go because it's not too safe. But here's the deal. God looks at these places and he sees a cluster of his image. He created these places before any of this thing and he said it was good. It is the brokenness of people, it is sin, and it is relationships that is broken between God, herself, and others that has made these places dark. God loves these places. The question is, how can we love the places that are around us? This is not end of the earth, and this is not Jerusalem. This is right around us. This is the places that are around in Oakland that folks don't want to go. But God is calling you and I to go. And what would that look like? The second major theme in this passage is that God loves people. He calls Philip to go to this place and in obedience he goes and he prepares an encounter with this Ethiopian eunuch. Now there's so much study done on the Ethiopian eunuch. Folks have preached on it. So I'm, I'm going to gloze over the, the entire story about this eunuch. But here's what you need to know. He's a big official, very powerful person in the Ethiopian queen uh, and the government there. And he is a seeker. He comes to Jerusalem to worship the God of the Jews. And he's on his way back. And that's the place that God decides to encounter him and sends another human being, Philip, to have this conversation with him. The Ethiopian eunuch will be the first person who would bring the gospel to almost at that time was seen as the end of the earth in Ethiopia. In order to reach Judea and Samaria and our, in our context, this is important perspective to have. In order to reach the places that no one else want to go, this is an important perspective to have. That God loves places and God loves people. God loves Oakland with all the good things that it has. And God loves Oakland in all the difficult places that it has. God loves place and God loves people. Now from the life and the ministry of Philip, there are three or four observations that I would like to make that I think would be beneficial um, for us as a church or for uh, CFC, as a, uh, CLC as a church to move and to love these places and, and be God and Jesus in those places. Number one, right there in verse 26, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, get ready and go. Be ready and go. The word there is go. For ministries in Judea and Samaria-like context, the calling from the scripture is to go and not ask to come. 
Let me just make this very clear. I've been in ministry for a while. My dad is a pastor. I grew up in the church. I think what we've been doing as a church is to be calling people to come in. Scripture says, go and make disciples. There is something fascinating about that. Folks will come into a place and worship God and, 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 and honor Him and all of that. But there is something powerful about the word go. And how are we doing that? The fact of the matter is not people come to churches anymore if they have a distress and change their lives and repent. Folks don't come to churches anymore for that purposes. They actually go to other places. They may go to a bar to, to, to kill their pain of what they have. Incarnational model is this. God did not micromanage us from heaven. He came down to where we are. If we need to make an impact in our Judeas and Samarias, the calling is to go. And when you go, God would open doors. This is, in other words, is what I call as place-based ministry. Jesus came down to this earth to die for our sins. And if we need to make a major impact in our communities, God is calling us to do place-based ministry, or in other words, go into these places. Let me share one or two quick examples of how I have seen this happening right here in the Bay Area. I know of a couple, um, uh, Brett and his wife, Angela by Master. Angela was uh, uh, MD doctor at Stanford, and um, she had a major heart for a place in San Jose, the Washington community, one of the most, one of the low-income communities that we have, highest rate, crime rate, and all of that. Fifteen years ago, they decided to move into that place. And she left her job and started a clinic a few years ago in that community. And what they do is to give health care and soul care for the people in that community. During the pandemic, there were hundreds of people who would not go to the county and get all their resources because uh, most of folks who are low income at that area was also undocumented and they did not want to do anything with the government. But they came here and got their physical health care, but they also heard what Jesus could do and change their lives. That stuff is happening here, not just in India or not just in Ethiopia or in other places. It is happening here because it's about time that America needs its own missionaries, that our pockets needs its own missionaries to change it. There's another ministry that I know of who started a youth ministry in a poverty pocket. That instead of asking all these kids to come into the church, they realized it is better to go to where they are. They rented an apartment in the poverty uh, pocket, and then they would have hundreds of kids who would come, attend their youth program, get their food, and eventually get into situations where they would get good education and jobs and other things. Transformation still happens, but it happens according to what the scripture says. Go to the places that God has called you and given you a heart. That is what the theology of place means. 
Many people think that the theology of place means it is this place as church. It is not. It is a places that God sees and wants you to be. Number two, be relational. In verse 29, the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over to the carriage and stay close to it. Interesting. He doesn't ask him to stop and let me tell you the gospel right on and you can go. He says, stay close to the chariot. Walk with the guy. Build relationships. The real reasons for brokenness in the context of Judea and Samaria, in our poverty pockets, it's not material lack. That's what folks think. That's what everybody in the world thinks. Scripturally, or even if you ask any of them, they would say, it is not material lack. It is relational brokenness between God, yourself, and others that creates the issues that we have here. And the church is placed in the right place to restore those relationships. Sometimes we get confused in this and think that let's add and give some material things and make them all fine. Person doesn't have a house, let's gather a million dollars and get him a house. Things are not going to be fixed by just adding more material stuff. It is relational brokenness between a person and God and others that needs to be fixed. You and I have a part in that. That is why Paul calls it, it is the ministry of reconciliation. It is the ministry of restoring these relationships is what God has given us an opportunity. You know, and this stuff, relational, it is one person at a time, one family at a time. We live in Silicon Valley where everything needs to be, you know, scaled throughout the world. Whatever Silicon Valley does is not helping one people or in just California or America. It has to go the entire world, right? Google, Apple, you know, Netflix, whatever you have, is the scale is the world. And that's what we come into when we do ministries as well. But the relational stuff is one person at a time. One family at a time. Just the way God does. One person, the Ethiopian eunuch, at a time. The way he heals, one person at a time. And that's a challenge for us. Because sometimes it doesn't look like success the way world looks at success. And if we can do this, I believe, if one person, each of you who are in this church, can know one person in these poverty pockets, one family, build relationships with them, not with any strings attached, but just to get to know them for a long time, consistent way, change will happen, not only in their lives, it will happen in these places that everyone would look and say, nothing ever can change. So be relational. Number three, lead people to a disciple life. Verse 30, Philip ran over and heard him reading from the book of, of the prophet of Isaiah. He asked him, do you understand what you're reading? The official replied, how can I understand unless someone explains it to me? And he invited Philip to climb up and sit in his carriage with him. This is interesting. Relational connection has helped Philip to disciple the Ethiopian eunuch. And that includes the courage to speak the truth. And that's what Philip does. He speaks the gospel and the truth to the Ethiopian eunuch. 
Folks, I believe how amazing it would be if each one of you would be able to relationally invest in one person's life and in that way help them to lead a discipled life. Because that's the only thing that is going to change situations. It is not services. We have so many services. Education, financial literacy, you know, employment opportunities. All of that is there. If services would fix things, I think so California would be fine. Because we have so many services. America would be fine. You know? Because we have enough resources that we need. What is needed to make a change and see a change is a discipled life. And that can happen in relationships with each one of you investing in one person at a time. And finally, go at the speed of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord took Philip away. The official did not see him again, but continued on his way, full of joy. Philip found himself in another place. He went to, on to Syria, and on the way he preached the good news in every town he reached. Go at the pace of the Holy Spirit. Many of us think our pace is what is needed to change the Judeas and the Samarias of our time. The way we have metrics and success is, is based on, you know, you know, how things can change if we have these strategies as quickly as we can. Go at the speed of the Holy Spirit. If the speed of the Holy Spirit is to be consistent and waiting for 15 years, let's be committed to that. Let's be faithful to that. If the, if the speed of the Holy Spirit is just to meet this person once, let's be faithful to that. Because that can make a change that can happen 100 years from now. And I would say 100 years ago, whoever had the vision to start this church and the seed that they planted is the reason that we are here today, continuing to worship God and to serve Him. So let me conclude with the story of a missionary that I had major impact on. His name is Adoniram Judson. The story of Judson is interesting because he was inspired by the work of William Carey. Judson went to Burma uh, when he was 25 years old in 1813. He got married to his wife and they started this journey exactly like William Carey. Lost his wife, lost his, some of his kids. In the first eight years, would not see no returns in this country. William Carey himself would tell Judson, not to go to Burma because it was considered to be a land um, of, of, of a lot of danger, that folks would die there. He would say, death is creeping every step that you take. But he had a heart for this place, and Judson would go there. And after 36 years of his life there and death there, would translate the Bible into the Burmese language. 200 years from then to now, there's over more than a million Christian followers in this country because of the work, the place-based work that this person did in this country. It not only changes people, it changes places. Folks, you may look at your Judea or Samaria and have so many complaints. You know, there's homelessness, there's uh, traffic, there's cost of living, all kinds of stuff in California. 
And people are leaving, right? They will just go and, you know, well, it makes no sense to live here. Makes, actually, that is true. It's, the taxes are high and everything is bad. But here's the thing. If you have a calling to be here, this is the right place to be based on the right time because God can do something here. You can have all kinds of complaints, but the good news is this. God looks at this place and he called it good. And here's the good news. He calls broken people like you and me sinful people like you and me to do the redemptive work that he does through building relationships and spreading the gospel in these communities. That is how neighborhoods will be transformed. I think the church has a major role in our Judeas and in our Samarias. Like how we started the worship today, may I challenge you to pray and ask God Show and give me that love for the Judeas and the Samarias of our time. It doesn't have to be all broken all the time. If God is calling you to Hawaii, you do that. And, and do ministry there. Because God loves people there too. But if God's calling you to the Judeas and the Samarias of our place, our area, would you take a step to um, invest in this place? To relationally build things? to disciple folks, and to wait in God's timing. I believe God will use this church in an amazing way in this community. Let me pray for us as we end this sermon. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the stories that you have impacted um, in many people's life and in places. God, we are thankful for... Uh, the sacrificial step that many people have taken, which is why we are able to stand here and to worship you in the same way. Help us to see the Judea and the Samarias of our time and to step in in a way that will glorify your name. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.